Welcome back to another episode of In The Zone. My name is Anthony Pinello, joined by my other co-hosts, Giancarlo Alino, Chris Martelli. Boys, the Tampa Bay Lightning have finally won it all. They have won the Stanley Cup. Steven Stamkos and Luke Shen are Stanley Cup champions. Boy, what emotions are we feeling right now? <laughs> wow. Uh, I, I mean, you talk about a guy that has sniffed it before he's been in the finals never really had uh that one piece he's always missed something on the team i mean i remember 2014 when they went to the finals Kalorn was looking like a first line winger and they still couldn't get the job done against you know the the three-headed monster back in the day kane taves and keith and that blackhawks team and of course you know seabrook was detrimental he was instrumental and, and Corey crawford was amazing but then this is a different year. You're in a bubble, and and Dallas, you know, they they were amazing down the stretch. Gudobin, just what a story this playoff for him. But you know what? It was time. They've been one of the best teams, at least that I've ever seen. Like you, te- you talk about regular season numbers, and they have been compared to like the 2008 Washington Capitals. You go back all the way then when you had Mike Green as a Norris Trophy defenseman, Ovi getting 65 goals, Semin getting 40, Backstrom getting 70 assists. Like, you can't make this stuff up. This team was built built for greatness for a long time. Finally got the job done. Kudos to Victor Hedman. He was absolutely incredible. One of the best. If I, I don't know if I'd put it on par with Duncan Keith's Smythe performance, but it's right there. Uh, just an absolute amazing playoff for him. And that's all I really got to say. I'm very happy for Tampa Bay. I'm really happy for Stamkos. Kudos to them. And of course, John Cooper, because three months ago, a lot of people were saying that this guy arguably could have been fired. So good job for Tampa Bay, their organization holding it in there. 2020 Stanley Cup champs, well-deserved. Yeah, it was good to see. Happy for them. Stamkos deserved it after... A great career so far. Kucherov playing well. Hedman, best player on the ice. Uh, but I think it's a thing where if Tampa didn't win, I think they would have had more criticism than Dallas right now. Like, I don't think anyone really expected Dallas to even go on this run. They went to the final, uh, had a great run. They had all these older guys come in. They went old. They did something different last offseason, bring Pavelski and Perry in. And uh, they kind of made a blueprint of how a team could be structured going forward with a lot of veteran players, your young core. So uh, I think Dallas did a good job. They shouldn't be too mad about it. Uh, Tampa had to win this just on the last few years. Like the window would have been closing for them. Like there's only so many players you can add into your lineup and like all the trades they made, like McDonough coming in and they also had Girardi and that didn't work out. But uh, now they bring in Luke Shen, they bring in all these pieces like Maroon who won the cup last year and, it benefited them. So I'm happy for Tampa, but you know, if they didn't win this year, it would have been really bad on their franchise where they would probably have to look at who they're firing and maybe even uh, trading guys like Stamco. So uh, luckily for them, they got the job done. Stammer's got that accolade. Now he's got the main one. He's got the Stanley cup. He has that Olympic gold medal. He did not play a fucking day in that tournament. He only played two minutes of ice time this time around. But he's got it now. So I just want to say, does this put Stamkos as the first ballot Hall of Famer when it's all done? Um, yeah, it does. And I don't really care about what he's missed and how much he's missed because 
you go all the way back to when he was 23 years old, not even actually, maybe 22, and that guy scored 51 goals in his second season in the NHL. And from that point on, I knew he was destined for greatness. 50, he scored 51 in 09, 45 in 2010, and 60 in 2011. Scoring 60 goals in 2011 is like scoring 70 now. I mean, it, it like back in back then, that was absurd. 97 points in a full season for him. That was when the injuries did not come. And as soon as the injuries came, a lot of people wrote him off. They said this guy will not be the same offensive dynamo. And he came back and yeah, he did. He didn't average over a point a game for I think three years, three or four years. But ever since the 2016 season, where again he only played 17 games, he averaged well over a point a game. He had 20 and 17, 86 and 78, 98 and 82 last year, and then 66 and 57 this year. So if you look at his regular season numbers, he's over a point a game, 832 and 803 games. You can't ignore those statistics. A two-time Rocket Richard winner in an era where Ovi has dominated it. I think he has eight Rocket Richard trophies. Of course, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Steven Stamkos, one of the best players that at least I've seen in my generation. Oh, definitely. Maybe he could have retired before the play, uh, these Stanley Cup playoffs, and he would have been a first ballot regardless. Uh, all the goals he put up uh, early on in his career – all his accomplishments in hockey overall, not just the NHL, uh, all the individual awards. I think he gets in. He's a lock. So uh, the Stanley Cup's just an extra bonus for him. I think now he hasn't been that same player uh, since the injury, the leg injury, but now he's in a position where he doesn't have to be that player because Kucherov stepped into that role of being that elite goal scorer. So I think Stankos just needs to continue being the leader for Tampa, continue doing what he's doing, and uh, maybe they can repeat, but going forward, a lot of teams now are going to get better, especially in the East. So it's going to be tougher now because their window really started five years ago. They didn't get the job done against Chicago. Uh, last year, they didn't get the job done getting swept in the first round. So when you look at how many cups they could have won and uh, winning the cup now, I think uh, I don't think fans should really expect them to go on a run now and win five straight. I think maybe next year you're going to look at a drop-off. Uh, they can still be competitive, though. So. That's good for them. But that but that just shows how great Stamkos is. I mean, if this guy didn't get injured, I don't know how many cups they would have. I feel like they would he, he might even have three by now because man, like they've been good for so long. I think it's been six or seven years where we keep saying Tampa Bay is a team to watch. Tampa Bay's the favorite. Tampa's gonna win the Atlantic. Tampa's this, Tampa's that. And, you know, they've had their fair share of obstacles, and that's why I feel like this Cup win is just so, so sweet. It's kind of like what happened with Ovi three years ago when he won the Cup. Everyone was so happy for him. Like, even here, Jamie Benn and Steven Stamkos winning a Stanley Cup, I don't think you go wrong either way there. Steven Stamkos, this is another stat that I want to bring up. 422 goals in 800 career games. Some players don't even get that in a full career. So that stat alone is absolutely ridiculous. 0.5 goals per game in his career. That's just absurd. I think the average hockey player, it's about 0.25, 0.3 a game. So Stamkos is already above average with that. He's been an above average player since coming into the league. I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer regardless. And if he never got injured, I don't know how many cups that guy would have by now. I felt like I had to bring that up just because like, 
he's been getting talk for so long. Like, remember when they got swept last year and everyone's like, oh, maybe Stamkos can't be the guy to lead the way. Maybe it's just all the numbers and he's not really a true winner. And then, you know, I brought up the the Olympic gold medal that was kind of given to him. So I don't know. Like, I don't think it holds anything back against this. I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, 100%. I just think with Stamkos, it's such a unique situation because you guys brought up a few times, like, what could have been? It could have been so much more. He could have had multiple 60-goal seasons. So just to see how everything played out with him over the last few years, coming back from all these injuries and uh, proving to everyone that he is still an all-star player in this game, it's just amazing to see. So I love it for Stammer. Yeah, another thing, too, that a lot of people, they they hate on, like the Stamkos haters, when they when they bring it up, you know, especially, I guess, with this cup run, if you really want to bring it up, we were just talking about it before the pod went up. They had, like, three or four scores in the 20s. So, Jesus. like, this team is built, this team is built for offensive greatness. And, you know, OV, over the years, he's had his fair share of support with Kuznetsov in that cup run and uh and backstrom and of course you know guys like Vrana and tom wilson now becoming a little bit better offensively as the years go on john carlson as well but you look at guys like Braden point who again time and time again we praise him on this podcast he's absolutely tremendous um i would not be surprised if john cooper relatively shoves him in and out of the number one center spot as stamco still you know recovers from his injury and they want him to be a hundred percent uh, Victor Henman, I can't really say enough about him. He's probably the best defenseman in the league, best defenseman that I have seen in a long time. I think, you know, you think of an offensive juggernaut, he's that, and he's a defensive juggernaut as well. He'll shut down. He's got a six foot, like eight type range. And you know, his footwork, his speed is there. Everything is there. He really doesn't have a lot of flaws. Kucherov is just, we saw what he did last year. He was putting up NHL franchise mode numbers in a regular season. And like that's why a lot of people, they don't have Stamkos as that first ballot Hall of Famer because of all the offensive support that he has. And everybody, like even remember 2014, 2015, Tyler Johnson and Andre Palat were looking like potential all-stars that year. So time and time again, you know, you could say what you want about the team greatness of the Tampa Bay Lightning, but that doesn't ignore the fact of how great Steven Stamkos is and how important he's been ever since St. Louis retired from this, this organization. I think uh, when you look up and down this roster too, with the way Tampa Bay did it, this is a good example of patience pays off, especially as Lee fans, because Stamkos going first overall in 2008, Hedman the next year, second overall, these guys are 30 years old now. You know, they've been with the Lightning forever. And then Braden Point was a steal. Palat, Gord, Kucherov, Johnson, they found these guys. They developed them. And, you know, year after year, we've been saying, like, is Tampa really good enough? And I guess all they needed was time. Well, as well, Pinello, you want to bring up, and Alino, you want to bring up another thing with Tampa Bay. John Cooper and, and the management there have been absolutely amazing. Like you, you draft Jonathan Drouin third overall, and you you know that that's supposed to be one of the best draft classes like in a long time with McKinnon Jones, you know like the list goes on and on there. That was a great draft class, and then they they go all in for Sergeyev and they trade for him, and he was a key part of this the Stanley Cup run. And then of course, how about that J T Miller trade? I mean, you look at it now, and a lot of people say, "Wow, like." 
how the hell can you trade a player like JT Miller and still win the Stanley Cup? That's just absurd. The depth that they've had and that they've built and they've groomed, they've just groomed themselves to be in a good spot for a long time. And it's well-deserved. I mean, they finally get the job done. Time and time again, we've been saying teams like, you know, San Jose, they've they've structured their team to supposedly win a Stanley Cup when you have Brent Burns and Eric Carlson as your two defensemen. That's absolutely incredible. But sometimes it just flat out doesn't work. So, you know, Tampa took that gamble just like San Jose has done. You could even argue the same with Dallas getting Perry and Pavelski. But this time it worked for Tampa. And again, time and time again, I'll say it, well-deserved. Yeah, and then if you look at Tampa, I don't know. Do you see that, though? Like, Steve Eiserman deserves a lot of credit because he kind of built that and the contracts that he gave those guys. Like, are you looking at other the league, like around the league now and saying, okay, star players now, if you want to win a cup, you have to take less money? Yeah, um, no doubt about it. Uh, Stamkos is only getting paid eight and a half million. And nowadays that's like the 40th highest paid player. I, I, I'm not, I'm not surprised with, you know, Braden points contract either. I thought when, when he would get signed, I thought he would look at like 10 and a half million and he took a, he took a, a significant uh, cut when, when you think about getting paid. Kucherov is the only guy there where I think when you look at all the players, I think what is he getting paid like 9.75? I think he's just under 10 million. But like what he does for that team, he's just an offensive juggernaut. He's been a freak for at least 4 years now, gotten better every single year. Me and Pinello, we always love talking about fantasy and I think it was 3 years ago when he hit 100. We looked at each other and we're like, "Can he really get better?" And we didn't really think so and then bam, he put out 120 points last year. So, um Alino, I really do like that. I think I think players now, they have to start realizing that, yes, you know, you have all the talent. You're a great player. But do you really bring team success? And I feel like team success, when you talk about contract talks, it's not brought up enough. Mitch Martyr getting paid $10.6 million. To me, that's absolutely ridiculous. I love the guy. I think he's got all the talent in the world. But he hasn't had that team success yet. And, like... I don't know if any player under 23 should be getting paid that type of money, even Matthews. But at this point in time, that's where the league has gone. It's a younger game now. Guys are going to dominate at a younger age. And the the beauty of it is, now with the salary cap relatively staying the same and Line and Barzell being huge free agents, what do you guys think these guys are going to get? Because I don't see them getting under 9.5. Oh, for Wait, sure. Line Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. What's he making right now on his fucking two-year deal? 7.4, something like that. Around 7 point something. I, I think Line A will be getting under 9.5 just because every time, like, it's just potential with him. No one really seems to want him. I don't know why he's always available. This is like a generational goal scorer, but, like, as of right now, I think he'll take another short-term deal and then, yeah, but for Matty Barzell, oh man, I think that kid can ask for whatever he wants and he's going to get it from any team. But that's Probably, the point. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> I, feel, I just feel like teams have to be a little bit more reluctant 
and they have to be a little more hesitant with bringing out contracts nowadays. I know players are very excited and when they're, when they, when they're worth their worth, they'll get it. But I still think you need to kind of look at the team. You need to look at like, even look at the Islanders, look at their, their, their last two years. They've really shut a lot of critics up. They're, they're a great team. They're a collective unit, kind of like the Miami heat. They're a team that they go out and they play well every single night together but you got to look at the contracts. I mean, Anders Lee's contract is no, it's no cakewalk. Josh Bailey's contract is no cakewalk. You look at their fourth line, they're getting paid pretty, pretty well. Clutterbuck, Martin, you know, the, even Brock Nelson's getting paid quite a bit. So I don't know if you really want to pay Barzell like $12 million next year. Cause then that just puts yourself in a corner, especially with the, look at their goaltending. They need to fix that if they want to be cup contenders. So I, I think Matt Barzell, if he really is going to be that franchise center for the Islanders, maybe go in and do what Nathan McKinnon did. Ask for maybe seven and a half million instead of 12 and get another great goaltender. And then you can maybe be that dynasty that the Islanders haven't had in 30 years. So if I'm, if I'm Matt Barzell and if I'm all these young players going into free agency, Look at guys like Nathan McKinnon. Look at guys like Steven Stamkos. If you can take a pay cut and win a Stanley Cup instead of getting $12 million and not getting anything, I'm doing that nine times out of ten. Is, uh, did this performance by Zach Bogosian earn him another multi-year deal? <laughs> Five million a year. Back to Buffalo? <laughs> could you I, lo- I love Zach Bogosian. I love the story. I don't see him getting a multi-year deal. I could see him getting a one-year, like maybe maybe one year at like two mil most. But if there are teams, there probably are teams out there that are desperate for a guy like him. Like I could see a Minnesota getting him because I hear, I've been hearing forever now that they're shipping out Dumba. I don't know what the return's going to be, but apparently they want to ship him. So there are teams out there that need a defenseman. Zach Bogosian's proven he's still a roster player in this league. Give him a one-year deal. Yeah, for gotta, sure, Edmonton. 100%. What about, uh, we we got to say, I brought him up right at the beginning, Luke Shen, who's been on six fucking teams in the last six years. <laughs> that, do you ever think Luke Shen would be a Stanley Cup champion coming into the league with the Leafs? As an eighth defenseman, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like I look at their team and I look at their D and like they have Shattenkirk, McDonough, Sergachev, Hedman. Like all those guys are way ahead of Luke Shen on the depth chart. Even Cernak is ahead of him. Um, so if, if Luke Shen wins Stanley Cup as the seventh or eighth defenseman, like a Zach Bogosian, good on him. You know, he did his part. He played about 15 minutes a game shutting them down, getting those hits. If I'm Philly, why not? Why not make him the 8th D there? They have a great young core. They just signed Robert Hag. I mean, just... Because Philly, they're there. Like, Carter Hart is a starting goalie in this league. I feel like they're there. If they can get a couple more pieces, Philly could finish first next year in their division like they did this year. Konechny, guys, is no slouch. He's looking like a player. And... uh yeah, you know, uh, back to Luke Shen. I feel like him and Philly would be a perfect fit, and I'm very happy for Luke Shen. But, yeah, uh, I did expect him to win a cup if he was going to be the eighth D on a team because that's, <laughs> that's, that depth is insane, absolutely insane. 
Bring him back to the Leafs. Get rid of CC Marinch, and I'll take Luke Shen over those guys. Let's do it. He's got the experience now. Yeah, why not? That's Real like quick, saying, though. That's yeah. like saying enough as like the eighth D winning a cup. I love it. I love it. But, uh, you, you brought up Shattenkirk. This was a guy when he got traded was just getting absolutely shit on for every single time he touched the ice. He's always been a solid offensive defenseman. I think he was miscast for the longest time. He's playing as like the third or fourth D with McDonough, and the buddy brings it home. So I just want to give some love to Kevin Shattenkirk, who's really taken some shit over the years. Well, I mean, the only reason why he's kind of got shit on was the contract that he signed way back with the Blues. I feel like that was... You know, like that year in 2014-15, he had 52 and 56. And I'll never forget talking about him with Steve because Steve thought he was like the next, like, Eric Carlson, at least that season. I remember, like, he was talking to me about Shad because I think Shattenkirk that year was relatively still young. I think he was 25 at the time, and he was almost at a point a game. So Steve said, you know, they have Petrangelo and Shattenkirk there. He's looking like he could be the next offensive juggernaut. And then even the year after that, he dropped 51 again. But after that, he wasn't worth his contract. And we saw him. Do you remember that year when Shattenkirk was on Washington and we faced them in the first round? Holy we were talking about their defense. Oh, we like, they have Niskanen, they had Orlov, they had Carlson, and they had Shattenkirk. So, like, that was where we were saying, you know, Washington, they should win the cup with getting Shattenkirk that year in, in free in the, the trade deadline. And then he goes to the Rangers and literally disappears. So <laughs> in, like his time in New York was absolutely terrible. I don't know if it was the bright lights in Madison square garden. I don't know if it was him being on four teams in like seven years, maybe that kind of had something to do with it. Maybe it was him losing, uh, getting eliminated when he was on Washington as well, because they were heavily favored that year, but I'm really happy that Shattenkirk came back into his own this year as maybe the fourth, fifth defenseman on this team. And he dropped, you know, he played relatively well. He dropped 34 in 70 games. And in this postseason, he had 13 points in 25 games. So he he made his uh, presence known. And uh, yeah, good on Kevin Shad, get, good on Kevin Shattenkirk getting the Stanley Cup. I think it was a flow he lost. After he lost that flow, he went downhill. Now he found himself in Tampa, got the Stanley Cup. I think it's back to St. Louis in the offseason now that they lost Petrangelo. Ooh. On like uh, nothing crazy though, right? <laughs> like uh, you never know. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets like five. Oh, man. No. Those days <laughs> might be over. The bidding war. I'll say, I'll say, I'll say he gets like two mil. Um, but... Right now, his cap hit is it's pretty bad. It's at six point six five. So, oh, like that—that's what I'm talking about. Like that contract. That's why everyone was bashing him for the longest time. So, if I'm any team, I'm not giving him that, and I think he knows that. It's kind of like with Marcus Saul and Paul Millsap and Gordon Hayward. Like you look at their contracts now, and like obviously they're gonna opt in. So, like. Kevin Shattenkirk knows that he's going to get probably like 1.5 to like at most, if I'm like desperate, maybe three mil at most, but that I'm not going over three mil, no way for Kevin Shattenkirk and what he brings. But 
Yeah, like that's the hate. I mean, the money, 6.65, he's not worth that anymore. We all know that. So that's where the hate comes from. But the production has been there as like that fourth option, at least offensively. And then, of course, guys, you look at the Rangers and like what they've done the last year and a half. He he wouldn't he wouldn't have fit on that team anyway. You have D'Angelo, who's probably the number one option there offensively. Truba's there now. Uh, they have Ryan or not Ryan Graves. They have a couple of other young defensemen that are coming up in the ranks. I just I didn't see Kevin Shattenkirk lasting in New York. Never did. And uh, you know he's a Stanley Cup champ in Tampa. Hopefully he could stay in Tampa if if he wants to, if they if they want to bring the band back together he can go back on like maybe a. Very, very cheap deal. Maybe one year, one mil. I don't really know, but Shining Kirk is not worth more than three mil. I'm with you on that. What else we got, boys? Any more from the Lightning? Uh, no, nah, if you want to talk more about Dallas, you can. I don't really know um, what to expect next year for them. Uh, Dallas, they're looking like they're looking like a team, like like I kind of mentioned before. They're kind they're kind of remind me of San Jose. I don't know if you guys agree with me on that. If you do, kind of you know extend on that. But I really do think that Joe Pavelski. I feel so bad for this guy. Like he's been close for so many years, and he just can't get the job done. Uh, what do you guys think is next for Dallas and uh, and Joe Pavelski? Pavelski's still signed, right, through two more years. Yeah, he's still signed, but I I don't really know where his mindset is at after a loss like that. Like he he's been close for so many years, and it's probably really tough on him right now. Yeah, I mean, thirty six years old. He's had a lot of wars with San Jose. I don't. I think he would just stay with the Stars. I don't really that contract too. <laughs> like that third year was the big issue when he signed, and no one really wanted to give him that third year. That's why Marlowe came to the Leafs. Because we got him that third year, but like they, they still they got a really good core. I think they'll make the playoffs next year. Um, I don't really see them going this far ever again. If I'm being honest, uh, I don't know what the fuck happened at Sagan. Honestly, the guy had two goals. This is a guy that scores thirty every year and always performs in the playoffs too. And it just didn't really happen. I don't really. Do you guys know what happened to Sagan this time around? Uh, just the, I don't, their team is structured. I think they took a chance, I think, and it didn't pay off. Like going old. I remember even on the panel last year when they were talking about that on TSN, like they did something different than what other teams are doing. Usually you do that, the deadline, you'll bring in a guy at the end and he joins your team. They bring in Corey Perry and Joe Pavelski like that. Like that's a big risk. Like Corey Perry, I think they were expecting him to get like 25 goals just because he got bought out, maybe his contract. And Pavelski, they were expecting like 35 goals. Him to be that clutch two-way defender on uh, the penalty kill. It just didn't work out. You have Ben now, who at least performed better, but he's still making over nine. Sagan played good, just couldn't score in the final. So you're in a weird position. you got all these young players coming up. Like Bishop was hurt. So I don't know if you can even make a big trade. I think they're kind of fucked right now. There are two. Uh, um, honestly, as, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, Pinello, go, go, go. Like, as great as Pavelski was, I'd say the comforted thing for Dallas, their two best players were their two best defensemen in Heiskanen and Klingberg. 
And uh, a lot of teams don't really have that luxury to have two guys that can play half an hour every game, score 50 points a year, and shut it down. So, um, yeah, that's all I was going to say, just to add to that. Yeah, even Radulov's older, too, so fuck. Oh, well, you, you, look, you, even, you even look at, like, how Klingberg played in the, in the regular season. Like, me and Piniello were really concerned with, like, how that would translate, at least in the next couple of years, because... Klingberg in the in the regular season had only like what thirty two points in sixty games. He had six goals. You just he didn't look like him, his offensive self. And then you look at even what Radulov did thirty four points in the regular season. Like what? Like last year he was almost a point a game. That was just ridiculous for me as well. And all of these. So Radulov, Klingberg, and Pavelski. And even Gurianov all outplayed Tyler Sagan in this playoffs. Two goals in 26 games is absolutely terrible. And Sagan knows that. Bonus knows that. Everybody in Dallas knows that. That was that's the stat that made her. That, that's the stat that broke Dallas. Goals in 26 games. You're supposed to be getting 40 plus goals a year. At least that's what the fantasy outlook has been the last six years. Me and Piniello, every time we do fantasy, this guy is on our radar all the time. I don't know if that's the case next year. I feel like this is where you start kind of drawing the line of, yeah, you know, maybe he'll get you 70 points, but he's not that offensive dynamic center that we thought he would be. And man, two goals in 26 games, that's absolutely terrible. He's only 27, say again, but that's that looking back at it in maybe five years for him, it's going to haunt him. And it's definitely going to haunt a guy like Joe Pavelski. This guy had 13 goals, 19 points, 35 year old. He's plugging it out. He's doing all he can. And then the guy that's supposed to be leading the way only 13 points in 26 games. That's just not enough, man. That's unacceptable. Like Miro Heiskinen, a second year defenseman had <laughs> double the points that Sagan had. 26 points in 27 games. That's amazing. Heiskanen's the future. He, he'll probably win a, a couple Norris trophies in his career. So I don't know what they really need to do to go back there. I know that Sagan has to be a lot better than two goals. So that's at least a positive. He probably won't have a, a performance as poor as that again if they go to the playoffs. Um, Jamie Benn, he's in a tough spot. He's 30 years old. 19 points in 27 games. That's amazing. But look at the regular season he had. Oh, my God. 39 and 70 games. Awful performance in the regular season. They got to be more consistent, Ben and Sagan, if they really want to get over that hump. And Heiskinen is a blueprint to start off looking at if you want to be Ben and Sagan because Heiskinen, 50, he had 35 points in the regular season. Again, that's not going to pop out at you. But man, 26 and 27 in, in the playoffs. That as a 20-year-old, that's ridiculous. I think Sagan will have nightmares until the day that he dies if he doesn't win another Stanley Cup. Because like he went to the final game six of the finals, he only had two goals. Even if he had like four or five more goals, which is still not good overall for a player of that caliber, you could we could possibly be talking about Dallas winning the cup right now. So I understand that you're snake bitten at times. Sometimes you know your shots just not going in, but like that's embarrassing if you're Sagan. There you go, Alino. Give you some love there. <laughs> also, too, just look at Dallas's effort. How many shots do they have on goal? 
this is game six and you're kind of uh, going for, you want to push game seven. They barely had any shots on goal going into the third period. I think that's uh, alarming. If you're the stars management, like that tells you something about your group. Like you're in a game situation like that. No one's putting the shots on net. You can't even come up with anything. I'm looking at that like you can't even really make a trade now. You're looking at Jamie Alexiak, like these young defensemen who have been in the organization, uh, Gurionov coming in. But if you don't have performances from those kind of guys, you can't really package them for anything to add for like a Radulov to really boost this lineup. So their hands are tied. Like their GM's going to have to earn that paycheck now because I, I don't know what the hell you're going to do in the offseason to change his team around. Like, the guys they had and, like, the guys that, like, were supposed to step up did not. Dickinson as well. I'm looking at his stats right now. This guy might have been the worst player in the in the playoffs. Four points. Four points in 27 games. That cannot happen. I mean, I think he was on the third line. But still, relatively, you're 23, 24 years of age. You're a first-round pick. That can't happen. Uh, Jamie Oleksiak. Had five goals, Tyler Sagan, two goals. Can't happen. Kivaranta played 11 games, five goals. Again, like, yes, he won a cup with Boston, and that team was absolutely amazing with Tim Thomas and that one of the best, you know, playoff performances we saw from a goaltender. But, man, yeah, I agree with you, Pinello. He's going to be having nightmares. Um, two goals in 26 games is ridiculous. That's not enough. We talk about Guryanov. We were laughing th- about this guy six, five or six, I think it was four or five years ago. This guy comes into the, in the regular season, you know, not really polished at all, still relatively new to the North American game. He gets 20 goals in 64 games in the regular season. That's absolute. You know what? That's great. That, I think that's overachieving because I had no idea what he would do. He comes in the postseason. Nine goals, 17 points in 27 games. Arguably their most clutch player as well. So I feel like Gurianov and Heiskanen, if these are going to be the two guys that you kind of look at for the future, start there and then you got to start building because Perry and Pavelski, they probably don't have a lot left in the tank. Jamie Benn is also looking like a, a guy. He's 30 years old, but just the way that he plays, it just it, he's run his body down and... Uh, Say again as well, 27-year-old, you can't be underachieving like that when you're potentially in your prime. So if I'm if I'm the GM of Dallas, I really don't know where to start because Gudobin will not be putting up that production ever again. He's a free agent. So you got to run with Ben Bishop. He's injury prone. So Dallas has a lot of questions moving forward. But for me, the key guy to look at in this has been and will always be Tyler Sagan. Yeah, like everyone, I was looking at just some of the ages of these guys Cogliano, 33, Radulov, 34, Sakara, 34, Pavelski, 35, Corey Perry in his mid 30s. Fuck, where do you start? <laughs> you guys are talking about all the, all the players around Ben and Sagan. If you are Ben and Sagan and you're hearing all this and you just went to the finals and you're thinking the team's going to get blow up and you're in your prime, why the fuck would you want to stay in Dallas? You think Ben and Sagan could possibly part ways with them? Oh, my. It would be monstrous, but, like, 
that's got to be running through their minds, I think, maybe. I feel like I would appreciate it more if it was Ben going instead of Sagan because Ben has been there since 2007 and like he's been with that franchise through the lows and through the highs and Tyler Sagan as well. Similar situation, but he came in to this organization as being the saving grace and the hot shot center that just won the cup. So I feel like if there is anyone that needs a fresh scenery, I think it's more Jamie Ben, but I feel like you could probably get way more um, from Tyler Sagan. So I, if, if they both go, I would not be surprised, but I think I'd be more surprised if, if, if Jamie Ben went just based off of the trade value, it's probably not as high, but you got to start, you got to start thinking about that for sure. If you're the GM of Dallas and even if you're Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan. Yeah, Ben, for sure. They would be tough to make just because of his cap hit nine and a half probably has two years left. Not exactly sure how much, but like he was in a position where he came into the franchise. Brendan Morrow was a captain. Similar situation. He had a lot of veteran players. He had Yager that year. They had uh, Morrow. Just they got a lot of guys coming in to be uh, just that short term run for the cup, and it didn't work out for them then. And then after Ben's in that similar position that Morrow was in, like you ask for the trade. Uh, is there a team out there that would be a best fit? Like. It's probably harder. Like Sagan would get the best return, but if you trade Sagan, uh, who's going to step up to be that number one center? Because you're probably not going to get a number one center in return if you want to make the most of your investment. So it will be tough to get that. Yeah, I think it's also really tough. Like you have to analyze your core and like who you've drafted over the years. And like Ty Delandria, I think, is their best prospect. And he's not even near a franchise type player. So they need to start looking at, you know, the pieces they have in place. Like, is can Rupe Hintz be a number one center? I don't think so. I think he's relatively a, an underrated scorer, but I don't see him being a number one centerman in this league. So I do agree with what Alino just said. You need to kind of look at your you need to look at your team. You need to see if there are any guys that can be potential franchise hidden gems. And right now, I mean, I don't really see it. Maybe Gurianov can be that scoring type winger like a Svechnikov. I don't see him reaching that level ever. And maybe we can maybe see what Rupens can offer uh, down the stretch and down the road. So I'm not I'm not trading Klingberg. I'm not trading Heiskinen. I'm not trading Gurianov. You can maybe start with those three guys and maybe move on from there. See what happens. It's a lot of hockey, boys. Oh, but real quick, uh, <laughs> this is probably going to be the last game we see. Because they were saying maybe even January could be a start, which that's fucking insane. But let's say they were to find other ways. How would you bring it back if it's even possible? Do you have to go to another bubble or is there another way to make this happen? Oh, I don't know. I really, you, you mean like they would have to be in another bubble to be successful or? No, like a reg, yeah, to be successful the regular season. Like if they're going to actually start this, with all these cases coming up is even possible. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you have to that that has to be an option if you want the league to run. Because if not, then you're probably going to be playing. Like even even traveling is really risky. I know, like a lot of people say, well, you know, like it, if if there's empty arenas, you know, it's not as bad. But gotta remember, traveling is a completely different ball game now. So I feel like Batman. Yeah, like let's see how it is in January. Um, I hope it's not around it at all but it probably will be because it's only like four months away but i do see them doing a bubble type thing i wouldn't maybe even 
I wouldn't even tear it down right now if I'm like Toronto and Edmonton. I'd maybe even just kind of keep it the status quo. I wouldn't go under construction too much, but um, yeah, it's definitely an option that they need to they need to think about. Fuck with the bubble. That's all I got. What about this scenario? Where it's a winter sport. If they want to bring in some revenue with fans, what if you take the league outside, winter classic style? You have a few cities, and then you have them play outdoors, and you have fans mm-hmm. around the rink over there. They're all socially distant because they're never close to the rink in those outdoor things. You get a nice little stage, got the pyro going. Would you be uh, all up for that? That would be awesome. I would love that. Is that like how football's doing it now? Yeah, everyone's like, like they're like five, six seats apart, but there's still like thousands of people in the fucking stadium. Yeah, that is how they're doing it. That's pretty cool. I'm down, yeah, I'm down for that. All right, Batman, let's do it. <laughs> if you're listening, let's do that, Jerry. Let's set that up. Get some pyro going. Get some screens thermometer check everyone going in make sure they're all uh dressed for the occasion because it's gonna be chilly bring the extra layer and we're good to go let's play some hockey perfect <laughs> okay. well let's just end it. let's just end it with hoop we're fucking we went off there for hockey cool. it had to be done stammer needed some love it's gonna be a while <laughs> before we talk hockey again so we got to get it out in this one buddy <laughs> The NBA Finals, the Miami Heat, Los Angeles Lakers. Stephen A. Smith must be fucking livid because he wanted this from day one, but we're in the bubble. What's the preview here, boys? What are we thinking? Oh, my. Let's just let's just start by saying how a narrative completely changed in a year for a player in Jimmy Butler. This guy went from being hated, being one of the most hated teammates or – one of the guys that you can't get along with in the locker room to being one of the most beloved, most adored teammates in the league. And I've, I was actually one of those guys. I mean, when he was in Minnesota and doing all those different things with the teammates, you know, the third stringers are beating the first stringers, wake up all this. First I thought, you know, like this guy doesn't really have a say in saying all of that, but just looking at where he's come from, you know, going 30th overall, this guy was sleeping in his car at times this guy's just, he's just got all the heart in the world. And you got to respect Jimmy Butler going to a brand new franchise and a franchise they didn't even have really, I wouldn't say they didn't have an identity, but I don't think they even knew that they could maybe go to the finals last summer. I mean, you have, you draft a guy like Tyler Hero, 13th overall, only one year in college. They weren't really sure how important and how significant he would at least be this year to their team. I knew in the long term he'd be a stud, but this guy has been balling out right now. Their their bench players have been absolutely fantastic. Kelly Olynyk, Kendrick Nunn, these guys coming in off the bench have been amazing. Goran Dragic, put respect on that guy's name because he's one of the most underrated point guards. We didn't even have him in our list. Um but yeah, I I really do love this preview. I really love seeing both these teams go at it. The storyline here is Eric Spolstra versus LeBron James. That's probably LeBron James' best coach he's ever had. I still have the Lakers in six. I think they're a way better team than Miami, when you, especially when you look at on paper. And uh, just the narrative here is David versus Goliath. I think, I think you know, you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, two top five players in this league. 
taking on potentially a team that doesn't even have a, a superstar. So I'm going to go with the Lakers in six. I think LeBron James is mo- more motivated than at least I have. I think I've ever seen, especially now with, with, with the Mamba, you know, passing. I think it's perfect that the Lakers win it this year. You know, the fair share of, of uh, sports fans will say it's rigged. I don't think so. I think LeBron has been hungry. This is AD's first trip to the finals. I got the Lakers in six. But kudos to Miami only losing three games going into the finals. That's ridiculous. Yeah, so this is all the Clippers' fault. Paul George, <laughs> mostly. Because we could have had the Clippers in the final. We didn't have to hear about this bullshit. But here we are. Uh, the Lakers are in the finals. And uh, we've been hearing on ESPN all LeBron James talk about his finals record, which is still a losing record, by the way. Uh, he's just been to the finals all those times, managed to get a couple wins. Good for him. But I think uh, if people are overlooking this Eric Spolstra, Pat Riley uh, discussion on a day-to-day basis, they've been thinking about this and dreaming about the scenario since this bubble started. And they're here at this position where they can really add a loss to LeBron James's legacy in the finals. And I think that would just add the most like satisfying feeling for them in this championship run. So I think Jimmy Butler is going to get a big raise if they get this done and the city of Miami uh, good for them because they rebuilt the right way. They remind me a lot about the Raptors team. They just have a scorer and Jimmy Butler. Uh, I think the defensive plays there with Iguodala and if he can come off the bench and produce, I think they're going to give the Lakers bench players a lot of trouble, especially Danny Green, who hasn't really been hot most of the games. And Kuzma has been hit or miss. Dwight Howard's been hit or miss. So I think the bench is going to come into play here. And I'm going to go with Miami taking this in seven games. Uh, I'll take the Lakers in six. Ask me in four days. I'll probably change my <laughs> mind. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's, it does remind me of this Raptors team. It's all really done by committee. You only realize so players, Jimmy Butler, and if the Heat are going to win, it's going to be because of Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson pulling up from the fucking parking lot. Because when you look at the Lakers bench, you know, Caruso and Green and Howard, like you just said, it's a hit or miss. It's not really every night they're producing. And with the Miami Heat, they're eight or nine deep and all of them are playing 20, 30 minutes every night. Um so, yeah, this should be a fun series. I think even if they get spanked in four, Butler's going to get a huge raise. But this is awesome for the league. I love it. Alino is hating on LeBron James. <laughs> Ten guys hating on LeBron James. This guy had Kawhi over LeBron. It's okay, man. Your boy choked. It happens. You know, not everyone is like LeBron. You know, he, he choked once, too, against the Mavs. But he redeemed himself by beating Golden State. Let's see if Kawhi can do that in a year or two years, and then I'll compare him maybe to LeBron. Yes, LeBron has a losing record in the finals, but if you look at the teams he's faced, it's just not fair. I mean, he had to face Tim Duncan with Kawhi Leonard as the third option. He won the finals MVP that year. So there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention that to Alino. But he had to face the Golden State Warriors the Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, I can keep going, Golden State Warriors. We knew he was not beating those teams back then. And you know what? This is his 10th finals. He's four wins away from his fourth title. He knows that that feat will place him really high on the pecking order of all-time greats. LeBron is motivated. This is Anthony Davis's longest and deepest playoff run that he's ever envisioned. So this scenario... 
I can't see anything else but the Lakers winning. I can't see Miami winning this. I mean, we could talk all we want about the bench players, how Miami, it, they just outshine the Lakers bench. But you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. These two guys will probably average about 26, 7, and 9 minimum in the finals. I mean, we all know that Anthony Davis struggled uh, rebounding against Denver but they had Plumlee and they had even Jokic out there. And Jeremy Grant was playing out of his mind. So you look at like these two guys and like Anthony Davis had a bad series against the Nuggets and they won in five. And like they, they ran through the competition. They killed Portland. We're all saying, oh, Dame Dollar, watch out. You know, Alino saying, you know, they could beat, they could beat the Lakers and they get killed. And then I was even saying, oh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, maybe they can give, maybe they can give the Lakers some trouble. And look what happened there. Five games as well. Actually, they won four in a row. So I think LeBron is motivated more than ever, more, more than any other player in the league. He plays second in MVP voting. I think he should have won MVP. That's just my opinion. And, you know, the, the history will just go on. I think the Lakers will win their 17th title, tie the Celtics, and that's it. Win it for the Mamba. And, uh, you know, you could say so much about Jimmy Butler and what he's done. He's no LeBron James. And time and time again, when they faced each other, LeBron has clamped Jimmy Butler. I think we're going to see that again. And let's just give some credit to Alex Caruso because this guy – Wow, he looks like a young MJ when he gets the he gets those hops out there. <laughs> like he'll get that momentum. I'm not going to even mention Kyle Kuzma because that guy's been a ghost. But Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson are the X factors. Anthony Davis is the X factor. Maybe even Rajon Rondo for the for the Lakers. I got Lakers in six. They're going to look up. They're going to cry for the Mamba. And you know what? Alino, I don't know if you like it or not. That's just the narrative. I'm sticking with it. Lakers in six. All right. If the Heat, this is what's going to happen. If the Heat lose, I think they're going to go after Joel Embiid. And if the Heat win, I think they're going to go after Giannis. So next year, I think the Heat are going to be still in this position. It's just who they're going to go after. I think if they get outmatched at center, Embiid's going to be the likely one to come in. But if they win... You could look at another dynasty, unfortunately, in the league and another super team being formed because I think Giannis might actually go over there if he sees that this team can beat the Lakers in the final. So I just hope this doesn't lead to one of those super team things after what we saw last year with all these duos being formed, uh, everybody going off and forming a team with their friends and their buddies. Let's hope that doesn't happen. What a fucking troll you are. We should just end it on that. <laughs> I mean, regard. I mean, regardless, Miami, they're in a better position than they have been in a long time. I mean, they have Butler. They have Tyler Hero, who's looking like a guy that could be a starter. And damn, he could be a baller in this league. And Bam Adebayo is looking like the leader. Can't believe I'm saying that either. I thought it would be Butler. But it's looking more as the playoffs keep going and going and going and they get deeper and deeper. I feel like Bam has become more of the leader and the, the number one guy. Um, but you know what? Like you just said, if they're going to go out and get either Joel Embiid or Giannis Antetokounmpo, two starting all-stars this year, I mean, that's a win. And, and you got a guy like Spolstra and Pat Riley. 
this franchise is destined for greatness. I'm really happy that, you know, they haven't just become a laughing stock after D Wade retired. I'm really happy about that. And, uh, you know, just keep trucking it, keep moving forward. I really hope they don't get Joel Embiid or Giannis. Cause then again, like you said, the competition will be not as competitive. The league won't be as a competitive league as we have seen for like a decade now, but I really hope that if they were to go out and get Joel Embiid, maybe the Raptors can go out and get another big name as well. So um, I just want the league to be competitive. I want to see some, I want to see a hard fought, you know, season. And that's this year. It's been the definition of that Denver going out and, you know, just proving how great they are. And like, okay, before we get off, can we just give credit to like Jamal Murray, please? This guy, like, oh my God, I never thought, in a million years, when this guy got drafted, sixth or seventh overall, I did not think that he would be one of the best point guards, at least right at the moment. This guy, the way he played, holy shit. He had rarely had any turnovers, dropping 30-plus almost regularly. And we, <laughs> look careful. This guy wouldn't even shoot over 20 shots a game. Like, guys, I guess... I already said this. I asked this question before, and you guys put your answers in. But do you really think that that performance was just a bubble thing? Because the more that I'm thinking about it, I really do feel like this guy is for real. And Jamal Murray, man, this Denver team—they, you think Miami's in—they're in good hands, man. Denver is in good hands for the future. Murray's what twenty-three. Jokic is going to turn twenty-five. Oh, my God. Like, I don't know what the fuck happened. The kid just exploded. Like, when he got drafted, everyone's like, oh, he may, he may or may not be a starting point guard. He's got talent. He's good. But, like, we'll see. And he's been good the first few years. And then, I don't know, the bubble just brings shit out of people. But I guess I, I do think he's for real. Everything's there for Jamal Murray. It's just a matter of if he can consistently do it on a consistent basis. But, like, the guy's a superstar. Good Canadian kid. There's our starting point guard right there. Like, everyone's oh. talking about his Game 7 and how he didn't shoot well, but that was probably his only bad game in all the playoff games he played. And the minutes that he played was absolutely ridiculous. I saw a stat where LeBron, I think, was averaging, like, 31 minutes, and Jamal was averaging 40. So, like, that, with that alone, Mike Malone is one of the best coaches in the NBA. And if you're going to go all out with your point guard and play him 40 minutes, you know that that guy is special and you know, he is a part of your team for the next 10 plus years. I really hope he doesn't leave Denver because I feel like this, like this, what this performance that we saw from him, this was a leg. This was not, not even eye opening. It was just like the legacy that he just grew in just one playoff performance was absolutely like, this is huge. This is where we start putting him on that top three. Like, he should have been a top three pick in that draft. Now that I'm looking back at that and what he did this year, oh, my God. Like, absolutely incredible. This guy, I don't know if you put him in the top five point guards. Probably not because that's, like, probably, like, the bread and butter now in the league. Like, point guards are, are like, QBs. They're the best position. So, I don't know if you put him in top five, but – Holy shit, after that playoff performance, it's really hard not to put him in that. Just like, just even consider him because, 
oh my God, playing 40 minutes, dropping 30 points, less than three turnovers a game. You don't do that, man. And like, I don't know if it was his focusness, his drive, his resiliency. I really don't know what it was. But you tie all of that together and even his finishing touch. Like, guys, we saw that layup. Let's not ignore that layup. That looked like Michael Jordan out there. Some of the shots that he was taking were just up. Even Jokic, the turnaround fadeaway over AD, a defensive player of the year, and he makes those shots. The shots that they take and they make are ridiculous. I think Denver's going to win a chip in two or three years if those two guys perform like they did in this postseason. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to end it with that. Let's put respect on Jamal Murray's name. Good Canadian kid. Like it. Take us home, Alino. All righty. Yeah, that was another episode. Uh, episode 99, the great one this week. Shout out Ryan Gretzky, the GOAT. Stick around because episode 100 is next week. I guess, what, what can we say for 100? Uh, it's perfect. Just like this podcast. Absolutely Woo! perfect.